0: So welcome to another COVID vaccination clinic update. This is Take Six with Colin Pearce. And I'm very fortunate to be joined by Colin, who's a wonderful GP from Newcastle, and he's going to share with us a little bit about the community that he's serving and plans for COVID vaccine. Over to you, Colin.
1: Thanks, Charlotte. So, yeah, we're a uh, rather big practice in the Newcastle area, we were originally owned by partners, but are now owned by IPN. We have three practices which cover a very mixed demographic. They're in uh, Charlestown, which is our main practice, which is where we propose to run the COVID vaccination clinic. But we also have peripheral sites in Redhead, which is a small coastal village, and Windale, which is an area with quite a deal of lower socioeconomic class people and quite a high Aci population. So uh, over those three sites, we've got 24 doctors, 10 nurses, and 15 reception, as well as our management staff. We've always run an after-hours service in our area. And when we were owned by the partnership, I knew the figures better. We had about 50 to 60,000 patients on our database. And about 20,000 of those were uh, active patients. Others were ones we've seen over the years since computerisation in our weekend clinics. At the moment, our current active database is around 27,000 patients. We have roughly 2,500 COVID at-risk patients and roughly 1,200 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island patients in addition to the at-risk patients. Yeah, so that's a little bit about our practice. I mean, one thing before we get into the discussion, I'd like to say is it's a bit of a shame that the government didn't realise that the GP vaccination cohort for 1B is exactly what we do as general practice every year. And with this vaccine that we have access to, the storage conditions aren't any different. It would have only been education on the multi-dose bile and a little bit more specific about consent. And we could have delivered this to all of our at-risk population in two to three months as we do with the flu vaccine every year. So that was a, a bit of a shame. Having said that, I understand that we're in a very privileged situation in Australia. And the government, are a large part of the reason that we're there, I think we need to do it in the way they want to do it. And we need to do it to try and move forward with this terrible disease.
0: Absolutely. And I'm sure we can learn going forward anyway, can't we?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of running the expression of interest, we put in an expression of interest for 1,500 doses a week for the 1B level of vaccination. Our aim with that recently presented at practice meeting would be to have five doctors vaccinating for five hours each weekday and three doctors vaccinating for five hours each weekend day. We'd need two observation areas in which to do that, so two nurses on the five days and one uh, observation area on the weekends, which would be either one or two nurses, depending on how it all rolls out. We would aim for a five-minute appointment time with a doctor because we had more doctors than nurses at our disposal and that would be for the first dose and a three to four minute appointment for the second dose. Obviously there needs to be 15 minutes or 30 minutes of observation time afterwards and we'll go into the mechanics of that later and so just on those numbers if we were able to achieve those doctor numbers of five doctors five hours five days we would get to 1500 just with our weekday complement and another 900 on the weekend so potentially 2400 but as we all know, there are many unknowns in this whole process. We call them the cells, and I've quoted his speech in our presentation. So in that, we talked about what the key steps were to achieving this vaccination. The key steps were education, sustainability, staff, space, public desire to have the vaccine, our own patient selection and invitation and how we're going to achieve that, registration and booking software and what the things were around that, supply the vaccine, storage, drawing up of the vaccine, labelling and reconciliation, the process of patient flow, upload to the AIR and certification and how that was all going to proceed. And, And I've expanded on each of those in an hour and a half meeting at the practice, which obviously we don't have time to go through today, but that was how we formatted our ideas around it. And, you know, we've had lots of discussions and things have changed Since that meeting, that meeting was a week ago now. I've since done all eight modules of the educational program, and encouraging all the other doctors and nurses to do the same. And we're working our way through that. So a big issue was the fact that we have to draw up and use the astrazeneca vaccine immediately. So our thoughts on actually having those pre-prepared in the morning prior to any patients being there for the number, or at least 80% of the number of patients we had booked that day, went out the window and meant that workflows changed significantly based just on that point. Another hurdle was the fact that there has to be a pre-vaccination checklist for the AstraZeneca vaccine with each patient. We've even talked about doing pre-vaccination education sessions separate to Medicare where we invite people in en masse and do a PowerPoint presentation. A big hurdle as well is the fact that the TGA are sitting on this. They're really covering their um, bottoms, so to speak, by saying that over 65, this needs to be done on a case-by-case basis. So if we go to one of the later points in the key steps to this vaccination clinic, the whole thing of the workflow of five minutes with the doctor, in that time, and we just expand on that point, we've got a consent. Now, I've designed a a patient's COVID passport. So each patient, when they arrive, will be handed a sheet of paper, which is printed from their notes. On that, there will be the main side effects that are listed. The patient will hold that in their hand while they're waiting. It'll be read this document while you're waiting. You're here to have the COVID vaccination. This is not a discussion point. If you read through this and you don't want to have it, then we're not going to proceed, essentially, because we don't have time in five-minute intervals to have long discussions about consent. So that document went from being just having five or 10 key points about the consent with a spot to having a patient signature. And then there were eight key points that needed to be signed or jotted on. And one of those was the observation time. So the exact time that the vaccine was delivered was to be written on that piece of paper. The patient's then sent to an observation area. The nurse, they sit in either A or B, which is based on the quarter of an hour or one or two. So the patients vaccinated in the first quarter of an hour go to number one. Patients vaccinated on the second and fourth quarter of an hour go to two. And that way we won't have doubling up of patients in observation areas. And if they sit from front to back in those observation areas, the nurses will know roughly where 15 minutes are up. And if not, if they see someone sitting in observation area one and we're nearly through observation area two, they can go and look at the time of vaccination and make sure that 15 minutes have passed. If they have, then write down the time of observation ceased, It dismissed the patient from the observation area and then set out to how we're going to recall the patient for the next vaccine, which there are going to be eight key points, and we'll we'll go through those, which is now an hour in auto text that I've put into best practice. So the rough process is to try and move a hundred people an hour through our practice. I can't even in a short interview like this begin to tell you the complexity of that. One of the things on sustainability in our key steps was that we have to provide reasonable ongoing general practice uh, services to our current patients. I have a three week wait on an appointment at the moment, on a routine appointment. Um, we obviously have day only appointments. We normally run the Fluvex clinic in a way where we will petition an hour for several doctors over the days and we'll do it ad hoc with other appointments. We're not going to be able to do that with this based on the billing issues. We were told 1B there's absolutely no co-billing with that, uh, with the numbers that the government have made. so. Seeing someone for a booked problem and then going to the trouble of vaccinating them, explaining the vaccine and getting it, if you can't co that, then that's really not a viable option and you would end up so far behind it's not funny. So my discussion with the staff was that we really need to step up. We've been very fortunate with this disease that in our country, at least, we haven't had to deal with the detrimental effects of the disease and the absolute turmoil it must be to deal with this disease. So if we're at all to open our borders and not have the same thing happen in this country that's happened overseas once the borders are open, because that's what will happen, we need to vaccinate the population and that's going to mean we have to dig in and do some extra work. And as well as us doing those shifts over time, so the, the discussion to get that five hours of vaccinating in a week at the moment will be prior to people arriving. So we'll start our day at nine instead of 830 and we'll probably come in at seven o'clock in the morning, do two hours of vaccinating in the morning and three hours at night or five hours at night from five till 10, whichever works better. But all of those will be done as extra shifts. We have expression of interest for associated practices and for other doctors in the area to put up their hand to do the vaccination courses and become vaccinators and coming on a sessional basis in order to do that. We have done the same for nursing staff and admin staff. and once again, in this venue, it's not, we're not able to go into the complexities of that, but you can see why staff is such an important thing. And sustainability of general practice, the key points under sustainability were that ongoing general practice services, but financially, the practice cannot go backwards from this program financially. Medical practice has to be a sustainable business. Fortunately, I'm not involved in the business structure anymore. I did that for 10 years, but you can't, be paying staff and paying overheads to a level where you're going to send yourself into the red by administering the vaccine and winning an expression of interest. And so that's at the moment we're looking at doing that in um, times when we have space in our waiting rooms and we have the ability to run the flow without disturbing normal general practice. On the next point of staffing, and I'm expanding on each of these as we go anyway, which may be unfortunate, but uh, we don't want to burn out our staff. We're going to need extra staff. We've talked about how we've gone about that. And, you know, we just need to be a bit patient with each other, understand it will be stressed. We're very fortunate we have a very large space. Our treatment area would be about 5 by 12 square metres. So that would be only 60 square metres if you take in the procedure room. So we can socially distance adequate people in there to have the vaccination spaces that we need to observe people for the required time. And, yeah, a lot of the others is unknown. One of the biggest unknowns we always have with a flu vaccine is supply of vaccine. If we have 500 people booked in a day and we only have 250 vaccines to deliver, we don't have enough syringes or needles to draw it up. If we don't have enough nurses to be drawing up each vaccine and then one of the doctors to be able to give it immediately on drawing up, these are all, we'll start slow and build to that capacity because at the moment we really don't know The shortcut that I have in best practice at the moment for a doctor to really prompt them through this to make sure we don't miss any steps is step one, COVID vaccination passport given to patient on arrival. That's for the reception staff as well. Two is the consent for vaccination given. Although we don't need written consent, this is a new vaccine. It's very well scrutinised. We're not sure what the virus is going to do in the future. And so if we have any issues with the particular vaccine, such as the AstraZeneca vaccine or the Pfizer vaccine, and you haven't gone through some form of consent, I believe it takes nothing to put people's initials to at least know that they've considered, that they've consented to be given this vaccination. They're doing it implied by being there. There's a whole lot of paperwork around it, but we're getting their consent by an initial at the bottom of that. We then have to run through the pre-vaccination checklist, which will be on a perspex card in the doctor's room to go through allergies and to any specific ingredients, certain diseases that they may have. It's, it's on the AstraZeneca uh, education program, so I won't go through them all. The vaccine then has to be given by intramuscular injection and immediately on, on drawing half a mil from a multi-dose file so that we don't give them two and a half mils as has happened previously. Vaccination recorded on best practice and on the COVID passport, which is the piece of paper that the people take through the transition. And the exact time that it was given is registered on that piece of paper. In order for things to go to the AIR, at the time of vaccinating, you actually need to put the site that it was given, who gave it, the serial number and the batch number. If any one of those points is missed, then it gets bounced and it gets left in a holding file. Now, with previous vaccinations, our nurses have been doing that without my knowledge, but it was made very clear to me when we were going to be vaccinating 300 people a day that we really need to get all of those details in there and so that prompt which is appropriate recording of the vaccination is there to make sure the doctors put all the information in when they do it item seven is the patient needs to be observed for the appropriate time and there's 15 minutes or 30 minutes with the relevant history of anaphylaxis around that item eight is patients given the information on options to report adverse reactions now this was another thing that's come out of all the education around giving this vaccination in that all adverse reactions, whether they be local erythema or soreness, have to be reported to the appropriate body. Now, what we'll put in our post-vaccination handout to give them for their recall appointment is, these are minor vaccination side effects. Can you please put these in so they get to Tracker? Here are your options. The responsibility was put to us to ensure that they're reported. It doesn't have to be by us, but we feel giving them that bit of paper with uh, links to the various vaccination side effects sites that's as good as we can do in a five-minute encounter, as well as everything else, to make sure that vaccination side effects are reported and that we're not actually inundated with people saying, I've got a sore arm or I've got a mild temperature or I've got this or I've got that. There'll be another Portion to that, which say these more significant vaccination side effects, other than these, you should report to your own doctor because not only will we be vaccinating our own patients, we'll be vaccinating other practices' patients. And we don't want to be dealing with lots and lots of people with vaccine side effects. You can imagine the uh, workflow issues we've had with that. Item nine is that the patient is formed on a recall system for the next vaccination. We're still trying to work on this. There's in England where the vaccination motivation is very high. People that I know in England are just given an appointment and they will break hell or high water to get to that appointment. In this country where a vaccination uptake is between 50 and 70 percent depending on where you look at the surveys, it's getting higher. It's another key thing that we talked about before. We're really going to have to make sure people who are booked for recall attend because we don't want five doctors and support staff running when we have 20 percent non-attendance. It just doesn't work. And then finally, the patients are given instructions on how to attain their vaccination certificate, which obviously they do using the Medicare mobile app or by going to the AIR and asking for it. They can find the AIR or they can get onto MyGov. There's several ways and they'll all be listed down for the patients. And so that, as we see it at the moment, is where our vaccination program is. And I hope I haven't gone on too long.
0: That's been absolutely fabulous. Thank you, Colin. The amount of detail and planning that you've put in is extraordinary. And I'll be keen to sort of find out from you, you know, maybe some, as you say, some of the the glitches. And it was good to hear about, I mean, as you say, the finding out that we have to give the vaccine as soon as it's drawn up, because certainly our planning was similarly. We'd been, you know, you draw them all up and then you can just roll it out whereas to actually have to draw it up in a short time frame is a completely different scenario with the five minutes of consultation time have you thought about using smart vacs in terms of your adverse reaction
1: a local public health unit gave a podcast on that and and they had all those things listed and they will all be going on to our cards seems crazy in a computerised system that we're handing people paper, but the piece of paper follows the person around. And there are so many people, we're not going to have enough computer terminals. It's a very good checklist. And those bits of paper will go into a bundle and they'll be scanned into the patient's file. And if anything's missed, we've then got a second permanent record. We actually have a signed consent form. And we've given the patient a heck of a lot of information just with one sheet of A4 paper. And I think that it really it helps with all of that
0: will they keep a copy as well?
1: No, because what they're going to be discharged with will be not an A4 piece of paper. It'll be how they report side effects, what the process is, what the common side effects are. And if we book them a a recall consultation at the same time in 12 weeks' time, then we'll actually write that in. You know, so interaction with reception it's going to be difficult depends how many reception staff we have but if we have the ability to make it probably our preferred method is for them to do it because then they've got skin in the game by using our online booking system obviously online booking and how the government's uh, online booking interacts with our online booking system is, is another unknown at this point but we're told that it's going to work
0: yeah we're told it doesn't interact so I think it's best to plan that it doesn't and just do what you can Thank you, Colin. I'll let you go. I know you've had a busy day in the practice, but I may take the liberty of calling you back to see how you're going once it's started.
1: Yeah, well, I think overall, even though we have, uh, you obviously heard the capacity we wanted to build to and think we've probably got potential to build build to, it it pays to start slow and, and iron out the wrinkles and work out what's happening with supply before. We won't be booking 300 people on the first day.
0: No, good idea.
1: Start slow and build from there.